So, do I need to G you up? Are you with me? You're with me, good. Last week I started a series called Jesus Revolution. And uh, the first message title, if you recall, was that upside down is the right way up. And, and the Sermon on the Mount is a timeless message. And this message was spoken powerfully and penetratingly into the first century world that was upside down. I'd say equally our world is upside down and equally we need this same timeless message. And what Jesus was saying to the people gathered around him on the mountainside as he preached that day was, you've been sold a lie. In fact, you've been sold a series, a sequence of lies. In fact, the guys who are selling you these lies, frankly, they've missed the point. Things that the the religious leaders and the rabbis and the teachers have been emphasizing, they've distorted those things. They talk about measuring by outward appearance. They talk about piety and religiosity. Why? Because they had oodles of that. But he said, no, legalism is not the answer. In our case, as we think, and we did a little bit last week about the upside-down nature of our world, we think about the culture that we live in, we think about the secularism, we think about the consumerism, and do you know what? All of that stuff is selling you a lie. All of those things are actually leading us up the garden path. So Jesus said, I've come to bring a revolution. He said, I've come to establish a new kingdom. I've come to introduce a new way. My way. Heaven's way. A New Testament, new covenant way. And he said, my message is an upside down message for an upside down world. So he said, here is, here is this new way. First thing you need to know is that this This new way is different. If you live this way, you will stand out. If you live this way, you might even be ridiculed because you're flowing, you're going against the tide. If you live this way, you may even be persecuted. But this way that I'm going to lay out before you is not just different, it's also far, far better. This, This new way is characterized by grace not judgment. Aren't we glad about that? It's characterized by the spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of the law. It's characterized by the fact that it's built on rock as opposed to being built on sand. And this way, this better way, this new way will get God right back into the center of your world where he belongs. And if you walk this way, you will be walking in love You will be walking in the Spirit. You will be walking by faith. I feel like I need to talk louder and louder and louder. Can you hear me okay? Perhaps we should have sung the rain song after all. At the end of last week I said that the lens that we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount through is is this lens proposed by R.T. Kendall, which is actually that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching on a Spirit-filled life. This is what life will look like if you live led by the Holy Spirit. And he says that when when Jesus talks about the kingdom, 
What he's talking about is the rule of the ungrieved, unrestrained, unhindered Holy Spirit in, in the life of a believer. In other words, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, what he's talking about is in this living with the continuous, conscious, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And then he's essentially, the Sermon on the Mount shows us how Christian living could be, should be, might be, if we were led by the Spirit. And in fact, this way of living could only be carried out under the influence and the leading of the Holy Spirit, because law will never accomplish that, as had been proven. I read last week a little quote that says, Too many Christians obey God only because of pressure from the outside, and not because of power on the inside. And where we finished last week is, is we do have this power on the inside. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead... That the same spirit that produced the fruit that Jesus produced lives on the inside of us. And therefore, with the Holy Spirit's input, it is possible to live Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is possible to live it that way. And that's going to be the lens through which we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount as we go through the text. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to dive straight in. And we're going to look at the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes will take us a few weeks, I suspect. Um, found in Matthew chapter 5. should be on the screen for you. I'm going to read from verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Don't know what you think when you read that passage. I would say it's hugely challenging. I have to say when I read that list and it said blessed are... My flesh doesn't jump up and down inside of me shouting, goody, goody, let's go after that. And yet think about the richness of reward that that passage offers to us. And the introductory premise, as we look at the Beatitudes, is this, that there is a place of great blessing. Great blessing. But it isn't to be found where you'd instinctively think. The Amplified, when it, when it translates this, it, it, it extends the word blessed to try and carry the meaning. And it says, blessed, happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with life and joy and satisfaction in God's favour and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are, and then the various different Beatitudes. 
The point being that there is a place of blessing. There is a place of favour. There is a place of grace living. There is a place where God's anointing is strong and flows. Maybe even there is a true happiness. And this chapter here gives us a series of very large clues as to where real blessing is to be found. I know this maybe won't come as a shock to you, but this blessing is not to be found where the media tells you. I don't know what you watch. Uh, I wrote down here, EastEnders. I don't know if EastEnders is even on these days, I don't know. But, you know, EastEnders is not going to lead you to the place of blessing. It's not going to teach you where true blessing is to be found. Neither is Big Brother. See, I show as much I watch TV. Neither is MTV. Neither is Hello Magazine. Dare I say, not even Oprah Winfrey is going to take you to this place of blessing. And yet the world is bombarding you. The world is leading you along a path but it won't lead you to this place of grace-favoured living. What is the world bombarding with? Well, just very quickly, wealth, health and happiness. This is the root to blessing, right? You've got all these things. How can you not be blessed? Big house, new car, new job, higher salary, more beautiful body, free sex, no accountability. If you're a man, the next gadget, whatever, temporal Emotional high is coming your way. That's what the world is trying to stimulate. That's where it's trying to lead you. It's pointing you in the direction to say, if only you would go there, that is the place of blessing. Well, guess what? That's a lie. There's also a danger, I think, that what we would call pop 21st century Christianity also can mislead us. Can also perhaps miss the point. What are the things that if we're not careful we might emphasise in our popular 21st century Christianity? Well, I think if we're not careful, the way we preach, the way we talk can lead us towards an equally self-indulgent perspective. I think it can lead us, if we're not careful, to a pursuit of safety and comfort and gratification, we might talk about it differently, we might come at it from a different angle than the world, but ultimately we're pursuing similar things. You know, are we after some super spiritual cosy bubble? Because when I read the Beatitudes, I don't get that. You know, is it, is, is it not tempting to get sucked into the same materialistic view? Or perhaps the same view that they had, that, that ultimately our good works will lead to this this, this self-righteous sort of smug satisfaction that God must be pleased with me. Let's contrast this with the Beatitudes. I mean, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. I don't know about you, when I read each of those, certainly from a worldly perspective, they could all be perceived, could they not, as positions of weakness. I mean, certainly those things don't seem desirable. They're certainly not sexy. These things are probably despised in the world. I mean, why would you want to be meek? 
Why would you want to mourn? Why would you want to be poor in spirit? Certainly, these things that Jesus is advocating here would appear, certainly intuitively, to be upside down. And then I thought about myself for a second. If I'm honest, I think I spend my energy trying to be strong in spirit. I, I, I try to do everything I can to avoid mourning. That's with a U, not without a U. Can't avoid mourning. I get bounced on at six o'clock. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm personally aiming for meek. I, I think I do everything I can to satisfy any hunger and thirst that I may have. But here's, here's a radical idea. Isn't it actually in those postures, in those places that we let the Lord in? Isn't there a sliding scale that the more of God in it and the less of us in it, the better, right? You know, when I read that list, though it makes me a little uncomfortable, I'm convinced, you know, that God knows best. If he says that this is the place where real blessing is to be found, maybe this is the place we should be looking Maybe we shouldn't allow ourselves to be sucked in and seduced by some of these other ways. So let's dive in. We're probably going to look at two today. The first one in verse 3 is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to put before you an idea here. You can go on to the next slide there, Pete. That'd be great. The idea that the, the Beatitudes actually are not random. Jesus wasn't kind of scratching his head saying, I think you'd be really blessed if, oh yes, and I forgot that. I think you might be really blessed if you did that. Actually, there is some form of progression here. Something's building blocks one by one. And it starts here with the first one. And the first one is the first one for a good reason. And it starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then it goes through the list and it ends up with, blessed are the persecuted. It's a sort of health warning there. Be, be warned, this may end with persecution. I told you at the start. Each one of these, if you like, is a, is a building block to a blessed life. And I think it's really significant that this ladder starts at the very bottom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the lowly. Blessed are the broken. I have a message on my iPod from Guy Chevreau which says, it's called No Limits, No Bottom. And in that message how it expounds how there are no limits to God's grace. And there should be no bottom to our humility. I think the reason why this one is featured right at the beginning, at the bottom here is, there is a principle and the principle is that you cannot be filled without first being emptied. So in the Amplified, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble, who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if, the, if this is a ladder, if this is a progression, then kingdom life starts from a position of helplessness, hopelessness, and humbleness. And if I wanted to, to encapsulate that with one word that I understand, I'd use the word brokenness. Now, didn't J Jesus start off by saying, it's the sick who need a doctor. And the starting point of 
of Christianity, of faith, of salvation is, is that we give up trying to fix it ourselves. We recognize that we in ourselves have considerable limitations and we make a decision to place ourselves in the hands of a saviour. The hymn writer said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. Do you know, we will, and I'm not expecting a bubble of excitement at this next statement, we will all experience brokenness one way or another. Do you know, either we will, either we will break ourselves open before the Lord, or, I boldly predict, the circumstances of your resistant life will break you. I don't know which you choose. I'd prefer to choose the former. You know, some people will stubbornly wait until the world squeezes the life out of them and they reach a point of total brokenness. Kind of Psalm 40, the miry clay, and God reaching you in and pulling you out. The alternative to that, you know, is to choose to fall on your face. It's to choose to surrender your will to his. What Jesus called dying to self. Our choice to let the Holy Spirit do a deep work inside of us. We can choose and invite that. What are we saying today? Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. When it comes to brokenness, there's two powerful biblical illustrations. The first one, Paul talked about us having treasure in jars of clay. And what he's saying there is we are, you know, our you know, bodies here, we are, our fleshly bodies are just like, you know, jars of clay, but inside us we have this treasure. It's called the Holy Spirit. And a similar illustration is a wonderful one. I think it's what I preached the very first time I ever came into this church about Gideon. You know, and and, and the story in Gideon where they run at the Midianites with, with a trumpet in one hand and a pot in the other hand with a light on the inside of it. Right? Uh, a flaming torch it would have been. And what they had to do was they had to crack the jar open, the pot, and it would produce and illuminate the light. So think what they, what they ran at the Midianites. is an incredible symbolism here with a trumpet in one hand and with essentially a, tra- a treasure, a, a jar of clay filled with the light which represents the power of the Holy Spirit. And in both of those cases, Paul's and Gideon's, the release of the anointing requires a shattering of something, a shattering of flesh. It requires a brokenness, a breaking. If you want the Holy Spirit to come out, there needs to be a breaking. You know, the recognition, I think what what Jesus is saying here is the recognition of your own spiritual impoverishment is a key to release the Holy Spirit's richness in your life. You know, we tend to view, don't we? We, we, we view weakness as being a bad thing. In God's eyes, weakness can be a very powerful thing if you do the right things with it. Here's an example. Romans 8, 26. 
says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You know, certainly I used to read that little passage, something like this, and I think a lot of people see it like this. You know, this is kind of last resort. You know, if you, can, if you cannot think of any way of praying, if words fail, if you've got no answers, if you've got no strength, then now all you've got left is to turn to the Holy Spirit. Do you know, praying in tongues is not a last resort, desperation option. Praying in the Spirit is a place of great spirit fruitfulness. It's in the acceptance, the humble acceptance of our weakness in comparison to his strength that then leads us to pray in a way that releases his power. So I think poor in spirit is number one intentionally because brokenness is the starting point and it is the posture that must be retained, held all the way up the ladder. And that out of that brokenness, out of that yieldedness, out of that submission of your weakness to his strength flows all the others. Out of that flows the meekness. Out of that flows the purity of heart. Out of that flows the mercy and the peace. So, this message, frankly, is upside down. The upside down message is this. If you are broken, actually... You're in really good shape. Psalm 51 verse 16. It says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Isaiah 66 verse 2. This is the one I esteem, says the Lord. He who is humble, and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. You see, that place of brokenness, pride is gone. Self-reliance is gone. Self-righteousness is gone. That place of brokenness, all of our own potence is gone. Our defensiveness has gone. Anyone around here defensive? If you're broken, what's the expression? You can't hurt a dead man. Right? Your defensiveness is gone. That that desire to self-justify is gone. And Jesus talks about revenge. He talks about anger. Our angry at the world is diffused if we've been broken. Our judgmentalism, that need to elevate self at expense of others is dead and gone. And you can see how all of that, all of those themes work through the sermon and that he touches on revenge, he touches on anger, quite considerable, touches on anxiety. Well, a dead man feels nothing. We've died to self. Message, it says, you are blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. And that leads us to the, the reward at the end of that particular beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. What does that mean? Well, you have to understand 
that the kingdom of God, Jesus made it clear, is an internal thing, not an external thing. It's not about palaces and thrones and rules and cities. It's about what's happening inside of here. And in God's economy, we don't comply with external laws and principles. Actually, what we do is we yield to something internal. It's a little bit upside down, certainly from the world's perspective. Kingdom come, the prayer that Jesus said, pray God's kingdom come, is all about his rule in our hearts. And his rule in our hearts leads to his rule in our church, which leads to his rule in our community, which leads to his rule in our nation, in our world. And that's how it works. It starts in here. So for the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. What does that mean? It means for the poor in spirit, theirs is the depth of relationship. For the poor in spirit, theirs is the strength that comes from having the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. For the poor in spirit, theirs is the one for whom the kingdom is real and tangible and vital. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. The second beatitude is verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now I told you this was upside down, didn't I? How upside down is that? Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning's not blessing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, English theologian John Stott said, essentially you could retranslate that verse as happy are the unhappy. Okay, what do we do with that? And we think about mourning. Mourning for me is the thing that immediately follows suffering. And suffering, at least to a degree, is inevitable. Jesus made that clear. The question with suffering always is this, how are we going to respond when it comes? Notice here that Jesus did not say, blessed are those who moan. Think about that. No, we've, thank you, I like that. You know, we've discussed that, uh, we've discussed uh, suffering, we've discussed tests and trials recently in our series on James. James 1 verse 2, one of the most upside down verses in the whole Bible says, count all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. Upside down. Well, the point that comes out of that is, actually, the testing that produces mourning does what? Forces us onto our knees, and it's on our knees that we find God. It's at that point that we, we see our own sin and our own inadequacy. And there we lean into his holiness and his adequacy. And that is a place of great blessing. Is it upside down? Yes. Let me ask you this. What does warm and fuzzy produce in your life? What does happy-go-lucky, everything sweet and easy produce in your life? And the answer is actually, I think, that tends to a self-satisfaction. It tends to a patting on the back. It tends to a self-reliance. It tends to an independence from God. It tends to a withdrawing from God. I had a friend who was on the same course with me and a friend when I left university. And she was a, 
she was a smart girl, she was an athlete, you know, she was very popular, and she was off into the corporate world. And I remember trying to reach her with the gospel, trying to invite her to things and what have you. And, and I just, the sense of the conversation I had with her was, do you know what, thank you very much, I'm, I'm doing just fine. I'm saying you need Jesus, and actually what she's saying is, actually I don't think I do thank you very much. You know, the, what you're talking about sounds demanding. I'm not sure if I want that accountability. I'm not sure. Actually, I want to change. Everything's fine. This kind of idea is very challenging for me as I pray for my family who do not yet know the Lord. You know, do I pray God's blessing on them or does that blessing produce a kind of stupor? That actually tends people to walk away from God. And I think actually it's in the hardships, it's in the challenges and the trials that we get opened up, we fall onto our knees. And maybe that's the place, probably many people's testimony, that's the place we find God. This is a tension. I think one of the, the best biblical examples of this would be Isaiah. Familiar with the passage? I preach on it from time to time. In Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees a revelation of the glory and the holiness of God in his heavenly dwelling place. And you know what Isaiah does? He falls on his face and he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And he says, I am undone. I love that expression. Woe is me, I am undone. You know, Isaiah's ministry started with brokenness. Started with an overwhelming sense of his own sinfulness. And this revelation brought him to a place of mourning. I'd say this, without reaching that point, Isaiah would never have had the ministry that he had, and he never would have had the impact that he had. Interestingly, didn't the the next prophet, prophet, Jeremiah, didn't he write a book called Lamentations? wonder what that's all about. So, is it happy are the unhappy? No. I think it's more like this. It's more like, blessed are those in whom the Holy Spirit has done deep work. And often, it's only mourning that can produce that depth. Is that upside down? It is. But again, look at the reward here. For the one who mourns, they will be comforted. In in the book of John, when Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit, he introduces him as parakletos, which is a, a Greek word for which there's no parallel in English. We struggle to translate it. There's no one word that captures it. But there are a couple of commonly used words for parakletos. And the first one, you might find it in your own translation, is the word comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Now, that's, that's not talking about some giant American duvet. It's talking about the one who walks with you in darkness. Other translations translate the word parakletos, counsellor. You know, this is not lying stretched out on a couch with someone applying a wet, cool um, flannel to your forehead. This is talking about the one who leads you with inspirational revealed wisdom. He's the counsellor, he's the comforter. Perhaps the, the best summary word would be the word helper. 
It doesn't mean that your Holy, the Holy Spirit is your own personal butler. But what for me this speaks of is a considerable revelation that actually this person, you are the one who needs help. I mean, what's the point in having a helper if you don't need help? So in the message, translates this verse. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. Only then will you reach out to the comforter, to the counsellor, to the helper. Only then can you grasp the reality. Only then can you live in the forms of the fact that he will never leave you or forsake you, that we walk and live in his presence. Only then can we truly grasp the reality that his grace is sufficient in my weakness. But if that's never tested, how would we ever appreciate that and we'd start living in our own strength rather than yielding ourselves to his grace and starting to live out of his strength? Only then will you grasp the reality that there is a peace, a peace that passes understanding, that can only come from one place, and that is from the God of comfort. I suppose if I wanted to summarise that in one sentence, it would be this. The closer you let God come, the richer your life becomes. That there is a tremendous blessing in the Lord's comforting of those who mourn. That actually there's a rich anointing that follows that degree of divine input. And often when someone who's been deeply impacted, deeply troubled, been through dark, deep waters, stands up and speaks on that topic, there is an incredible richness, an incredible anointing in that. Because they found God in that. Someone who has allowed God to take them through the darkest place carries something powerful. And that is why God tends to use the very people who've been exactly where you are to minister powerfully to you in that. Okay, wrap up time. Upside down kingdom principles. Okay, I'm very proud of this. Hope you like them. Number one, the way up is down. Number two, and we'll probably dip into these over the next couple of weeks. Number two is transformation works inside out and not outside in. It's not the message the world is giving you. And the third one, wholeness starts with brokenness. Upside down, absolutely. And the Beatitudes give a big clue as to where real blessing is to be found. It's not to be found in legalism. It's not to be found in self-righteousness, doing the right thing so I feel good about myself, my performance. It's not to be found in popularity or wealth or status or power or any number of worldly values. In fact, it's not circumstantial at all. Blessing is to be found in the place of inward surrender. And that place of inward surrender leads to transformation. When the Holy Spirit gets in, things change. And that transformation leads then into wholeness. And that wholeness then leads to the outward work, the outward manifestation, the outward anointing, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. 
In essence, God's deep work inside of you will produce life and what the Beatitudes call blessing. In brokenness, when your will and your character are totally surrendered to him. In mourning, when you've called upon and received his comfort, his love, his grace. And then so on as we walk through the list here in in meekness, in purity of heart, God will work life and blessing through that, in hungry and thirsting for righteousness, in the giving of mercy, in the making of peace, even, dare I say, in persecution. You know, there is tremendous grace, tremendous anointing, tremendous blessing to be found in these places. Very countercultural, certainly upside down, but as we learned last week, upside down is the right way up. Okay, that's wonderful. So what? What, what? what about me today? What kind of response am I looking for out of this? Well, I'd say this. Maybe, just maybe, we've been living upside down. Maybe we've at times been guilty of prioritizing the wrong things. I wonder this. Have we been aiming for brokenness? Maybe not. Have we been praying towards brokenness? Have I been preaching towards brokenness? Because if poor in spirit is our goal, rather than some of these other things, then won't that change the way we live our lives? Maybe if that is the goal, maybe some of these other things will lose their appeal and then lose their hold over us. So today I want to, I want to press into to brokenness and ask you a couple of penetrating questions, if I may. Are you resistive, resistant, or are you yielded? Are you stubborn, or are you broken? Are you proud? Or are you humble? Don't stick your hand up and say you're humble because then we'll know you're proud. (laughs) Similar questions. What won't you break? What won't you break? Gideon and his army had to shatter the pot to release the light. What won't you break? What are you stubbornly refusing to let go of and are you clinging on to? Similar question, what can't he break? What is he trying to break in you? What's he trying to get through to you? What's he trying to mould and change in you that you are stubbornly resisting? What is he asking you to yield today? Take your hands off and say, okay, Lord, I surrender. Take it. You know, for me, Consecration is absolutely vital. Consecration is is the act or the prayer of surrender and submission. You know, personally, I believe I cannot pray that prayer often enough. Lord, I surrender. Lord, I submit. Lord, I consecrate myself to you and your purposes again today. I do that every single day. 
So that's where we're going to go in the next few minutes. We've got about 10 minutes before the kids will be released. We're going to take this to a place of consecration. And I'd like to invite you to take those questions to the Lord today. Am I resistant or yielded? Am I stubborn or broken? Am I proud or humble? What is it that I won't break, that I refuse to break, that I'm clinging on to? And what is it that he is trying to break in me and that I'm running away when I should be saying, yes, Lord, good link, didn't we start there? I'm going to go to the piano, lead you in a couple of songs, and uh, I'm just going to invite you to, to respond. If you'd like to pray prayers of consecration today, obviously feel free to do it right where you are. If you'd like to come to the front as a kind of a stand, and then I'd encourage you to come over this side over here. There's plenty of space. And you can pray a prayer. Pray a bold prayer and invite God in. No one will pray for you over there. That's you on your own doing business with God. If there's anything that you'd like prayer for specifically, someone to actually pray for you, then I'd like to invite you to come over to this side where our ministry team will gladly pray for you. It may well be that's number two. If you're in mourning right now, if it's hard, if it's tough, and what you desperately need is for the comfort of the comforter, then why don't you come forward and let us pray for you today. We'd love to do that. Is that okay? Why don't we stand? And I'll pray. Lord, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, as we read those incredibly challenging words and we think about being poor in spirit, we think about mourning, we think about being meek and hungry and thirsty. And Lord, we're open to the possibility, you know, that we have got it upside down. That we have been pressing into, pushing after the wrong things. Maybe we have been suckered and seduced by the world and believed their lies as to where blessing is to be found. And Lord, we pray that you would take each one of us I pray today, Lord, you take each one of us into that place of blessing, to that place of favor, that place of anointing, that place of grace living. Lord, you'd show us what we really need to press into, what you really are trying to work into our lives. And Lord, today as we pray and as we respond, Lord, that we might be prepared to take our hands off and to let go to let you in. Father, what is it in us today that needs breaking so we can reach that point where there's nothing left of us standing in the way of everything you want to do for us, in us, through us. Holy Spirit, we just sung it. We sung that you'd fall afresh on us. We we sung that you would melt us, that you would mold us, that you would fill us, that you would use us. Lord, I just pray that you would do that today as we respond.